The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and I'm delighted to be recording live from the International Leadership Association Conference in Atlanta. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and work with them to develop strategies and business and leadership practices that leverage those trends and create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member with universities in the U.S. and Germany. We talk about the rate of change in our current world, and according to Ray Kurzweil, we anticipate that technology change in this century will be 20,000 times the rate of the last century. And what that really means for leaders is that we will have to metabolize these changes, identify which ones impact our industries, and create solutions that enable our businesses to, to continue to thrive without being derailed. It also means that the complexity of these changes is continuing to increase. So our complexity as leaders needs to correspondingly increase. And that's really a lot of the impetus behind this work is helping leaders innovate how they lead or specifically change their business practices, their leadership practices, their leadership behaviors in a way that corresponds with the environmental changes that we're all facing such that their organizations will be better off with these changes rather than getting derailed. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to listen for something from each of the presenters that you might want to implement in your own lives. I talk about leaders moving from command and control, but toward what? It's the mind of the scientist. As I am faced with these changes, How do I know what to do, how to do it, when to do it? And for most of us, we are creating the leading practices. We no longer have books to go to that define what is best. That's in our court. So how as a leader do I go from being a great student of the master's to becoming one of the masters. And I will be sharing information from some of those masters for you to leverage such that you become one of the masters. So I invite you to listen each week for something that you can implement in your own leadership and test it out. And I would love to hear back from you if you find something that was particularly useful. Either email me at info at metcalf-associates.com or visit our Facebook page, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I would love to share your successes and lessons learned with our listeners. Hi, welcome, Karen. I'm joined by Karen Longman. Karen is the Director of PhD Program in Higher Education at Azusa Pacific University. Karen, you've participated in creating a four-book series of what will be an eight-book. You've published already four about women in leadership. Give us a little bit about your background and why women in leadership of all of the topics. Mm -hmm. This is a huge investment. Yeah, it is a huge investment. Well, the first four books deal with four different aspects of this topic of women in leadership. And I think for me personally, and many of the people were at the International Leadership Association annual conference uh, held in Atlanta. 
Uh, we're very concerned that there is a great deal of human capacity in women worldwide that's not being tapped or freed up or encouraged to be used. So for myself, uh, I'm very much concerned that girls are growing up and women around the world have a lot to offer to resolve some of the world's big problems and I think have very thoughtful ways of going about that kind of problem solving but the culture in many parts of the world doesn't support that women could use their gifts or could advance into leadership to make a difference in terms of the areas they're passionate about. And so the first step, or one of the many steps for you, is participating and, and leading this book series. Mm -hmm. To what extent are these issues, it, it sounds like they're global issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the second book, the first book in the series is primarily North American, and it's called Women in Leadership in Higher Education. Mm -hmm. The fact is, within North America, which is the focus of that particular book, the majority of people getting degrees, whether it's an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. or a master's degree or a doctorate, the majority are women now. But in higher education nationally, in the United States at least, we still only have about 26% women presidents. And most of those are in the community college system or are in women's colleges or smaller struggling liberal arts institutions. Uh, but the other three books are really international in scope. Mm -hmm. So the second mm -hmm. one's called Women and Global Leaders, and the third one's called Women and Leadership Around the World. And the foreword to one of those books makes the point that a lot of leadership research and literature has been Western. But there's a scholar at, at Harvard University who spoke this morning and was very emphatic that leadership is always done in a context and mm -hmm. always done with what she calls followers. And we must be attentive to the context of the leadership. So to presume that what might advance women into, say, corporate leadership or higher education leadership might be completely different in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So there's a great deal of research being done, and that has been done. But taking what has been learned about what contributes to effective leadership or how diversity at the top of organizations and corporations helps with profitability and retention and organizational culture, that hasn't always been translated into practices that help mm -hmm. organizations and corporations be strategic about how to encourage really bright up-and-coming mm -hmm. leaders, whether they be male or female, get their feet underneath themselves and be ready to provide leadership at, an, at steadily increasing levels. Hey, and I think the statistics are still true that women tend to attrit faster than men do as we go through our careers. Women tend to... Oh, um, hit, hit a glass ceiling or leave mm -hmm. for various reasons mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and or don't get promoted to those C-level and board mm -hmm. positions in the same percentage as men mm -hmm. do. Yeah, there's a wide variety of external factors. There are microaggressions. There are implicit biases. Uh, there's probably 20 to 50 different reasons why that reality is still the case, even in a first world country like the United States. Are there are something like a top three? Are there some major reasons you can point to mm -hmm. of those 20? Uh, I would say the literature now is really interesting in that it's looking not just at the external reasons. For example, uh, women tend to have fewer mentors, fewer sponsors. Women mm -hmm. tend to get lower paid positions. Women tend to take on a great deal of work because they sense a responsibility for the organization, mm -hmm. whereas yeah. men tend to get promoted and let people below them do the Mm -hmm. busy work. Um, but the more interesting literature right now is really on the internal dynamics of women often being wanting their lives to make a difference and wanting to be invested in something that has a purpose mm -hmm. or a cause that they believe in, but not really necessarily being interested in positional leadership or not being interested in high-status leadership. So the motivators for women tend to be, these are obviously sweeping judgments. Right, right. There's a scholar out of Northwestern University in Chicago who's done what we call a meta-analysis of a lot of the research, Dr. Alice Igley at Northwestern. And she would say the top of the bell curves for how women lead and how men lead are somewhat different. There is a difference in the way women view the world and the way men view the world, but what motivates women to get into leadership is different than, the, again, big generalizations, but men tend to be more hierarchical and more interested in status mm -hmm. and more interested in power and more competitive, and women tend not to align their lives around those things. Mm -hmm. They're more interested in purpose and the mission of the organization and making the world a better place or 
creating a fabric in the organization that people love working in, and those things tend not to be what causes people to rise to the very top of those positions. Okay, so this is fascinating to me because I'm starting to um, pursue a board role mm-hmm. and really trying to understand there's a lot of push for women in board positions, mm-hmm. but I really wanted to understand what is the value proposition mm-hmm. truly, uh, quantifiably, mm-hmm. why does my gender better qualify me mm-hmm. as a perspective on a board? Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to be able to answer that question. Mm-hmm. So is that something mm-hmm. you can explain, especially to some of my male colleagues who might say, mm-hmm. why do I care? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it does not better position you. Mm-hmm. I would say the research, and it's very wide, well-respected research, and the source for boards in particular would be Catalyst out of New York City. They are a nonprofit, catalyst.org, which has done a great deal of work on corporate leadership and on mm-hmm. board leadership. And Susan has actually done a summary of some research on several different reasons why diversity in leadership Mm -hmm. makes a difference Mm -hmm. and why diversity on board Mm -hmm. leadership Mm -hmm. makes a difference. Part of which is the profitability of companies, part Mm -hmm. of which is the organizational culture that people work in, part of which is the more perspectives you have on a problem, the smarter the decisions are. Okay, and that was the one that resonated with me, that Mm -hmm. it isn't about my gender. Mm -hmm. It's about the experiences I've had differently Mm -hmm. because I've traveled through my life in Mm -hmm. a different body Mm -hmm. and socialized differently. Mm -hmm. So I bring a different view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so same for racial ethnic diversity, uh, gender diversity, age diversity, getting different voices and different life experiences and different priorities and different perspectives around Mm -hmm. the board table or around the executive leadership table is in many ways very beneficial uh, for organizations and companies. And that's well documented. If you just Mm -hmm. go to catalyst.org, they're documenting all the research that contributes to that Mm -hmm. kind of summative statement. And that is one of the places I did go Mm -hmm. and really did help the beginning of my shaping the conversation Mm -hmm. and what I'm wanting our listeners to hear because for many people they're not going to do the research I did Mm -hmm. and so for women who are thinking about this and having to answer the question and for men who are saying why I hear that it's a good thing to do this Mm -hmm. but I don't get why Mm -hmm. that was why I wanted to ask the Mm -hmm. question so so that the conversation might actually change someone's behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that we look at the research, and there is a great deal of research, um, and and many, many studies are showing that the greater diversity at the top, in multiple ways, organizations benefit. So what are some other causes for women not to progress? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's the internal motivators, or the internal um, hindrances. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think in general, often, women value things uh, that are not materialistic or not Mm, power-oriented or not prestige-oriented. So what tends to motivate women or what women tend to value, I think, is somewhat different. And again, the top of the two bell curves, there seems to be some difference that men, even the way they play sports, Mm -hmm. boys are more competitive and more individualistic. So as someone has said, boys grow up you know, dreaming about being the quarterback who single-handedly can sh- can throw the Hail Mary pass and the football team wins, mm-hmm. but he gets mm-hmm. all the adulation. Uh, girls grow up wanting to be cheerleaders, so they're basically mm-hmm. on the sidelines supporting somebody else and looking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that and even if we don't want those roles, we don't have much choice. Well, I think culture definitely shapes what we become, so women tend to find a lot of value in creating cultures or organizational uh, environments that people thrive in and feel Mm -hmm. valued and want to work and are part of something significant. So there's a book actually called The Web of Leadership, Sally Helgeson, which talks about how women tend to bring people along and create an idea that a group can accomplish, but sometimes in a male-normed organization, that's not viewed as leadership because the woman is not putting her hand up saying, I'm leading it, it's my vision, I'm making it happen, which is the way a male-normed culture views mm-hmm. leadership. Okay. So I think sometimes what women value and what women are willing to put their invest their lives in 
is not positional power or is not status, because we tend not mm -hmm. to draw our attention to ourselves. We tend to decentralize attention and be sure mm -hmm. that collectively a group is owning it and making mm -hmm. something important happen. So it makes sense, and it sounds like it's largely based on how we're socialized and where we feel most comfortable. Mm -hmm. And yet I have coached people where the, the entering complaint was they don't seem leaderly. Mm -hmm. And that sense of leaderly was... They don't stand up and take charge. Mm -hmm. They're more collaborative. Mm -hmm. It's tricky because even reading in the newspaper, coming here to Atlanta, the headlines were the role that women will be playing in the U.S. election, and the point was made that every every president in U.S. history has been a white male. So you can say that someone does not look presidential, but the fact mm -hmm. is we've had every president be a white male. So Until if you don't Obama, look like, yeah. True. If you don't look like a male, then mm -hmm. you don't look like a leader, and that's been part of the accusations against some of the female candidates, even in the election here. Even in 2016, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's shift to global. Mm -hmm. How is it, my assumption is, mm -hmm. certainly there are other countries that already have female presidents. Mm -hmm. So there are others who, if that would be the measure, are doing better. There are others that are doing much worse. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to that? I would say that it is very important to be attentive to the context that people are leading in. So obviously, if you read a book like Half the Sky, the conditions mm -hmm. that many millions, maybe billions of women are living in are appalling mm -hmm. still in mm -hmm. terms of lack of education, lack of health care, lack of basic human needs like Maslow's hierarchy. And actually, there are not very many women leaders in terms of the political scene around the world. Mm -hmm. What seems to make the biggest difference is countries in Europe and Norway would be one example. In Scandinavia, where the government has mandated a certain percentage of women on boards. And the countries that are advancing the fastest seem to be the institution in terms of fully using women's gifts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, if there is national legislation that says corporations of a certain size must have a certain percentage of women on the boards, mm -hmm. Norway has been a leader in the world on that. That seems to be making the biggest difference in terms of changing corporate culture, and okay. organizational culture. So in some ways, the legislation really supports the mm -hmm. social progress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And equally so, uh, legislation that is supportive of a workplace climate or child care mm, legislation okay. so that when women mm -hmm. do have uh, children, the laws uh, equalize the, the availability of both spouses to take care of both mm -hmm. parents to take mm -hmm. care of the child. So definitely public policy can play a role and should be playing a role in trying to create countries where human potential and human capacity is freed up. The world loses, right? Mm -hmm. When you've got gifted mm -hmm. women, half your population are living in environments that either may be completely repressive or marginalizing women's gifts mm -hmm. or at least not fully embracing and welcoming them. So do you have a recommendation for if I'm a young woman and I want to progress, mm -hmm. what might I do? Mm -hmm. And if I'm a business owner that wants to support women mm -hmm. and I'm also financially constrained, what might I do that wouldn't be expensive mm -hmm. but would be high impact? Mm -hmm. If I were a young woman thinking about this, I think the more this would be impossible for people to do, but the more people know the literature and the fact mm -hmm. that women tend to bring a more transformational and inclusive and empowering leadership mm -hmm. style, mm -hmm. where the company and the employees feel better about what they're doing with their lives and mm -hmm. fully investing themselves. Mm -hmm. This is very true for the millennial generation too. They okay. want to be invested in a cause that they believe in and where they're taken seriously mm -hmm. and they make something happen. So the research would say that what women bring to leadership is exceedingly important. And I think that women need to have confidence that what they bring can have value, even if it's out of sync with a male-normed culture. Mm -hmm. And you may feel marginalized, but to know that what you offer uh, can make a difference in your company and that diversity of voices is important. If I owned a company and had limited resources, you know, one of the fun parts of life is you meet people with huge potential. You mm -hmm. never know when you sit next to somebody on an airplane yeah. what that person has to offer. And to hire right up-and-coming talent and then put wind under their wings is incredibly exciting. So to get out of our stereotypes, there's a huge movement around strengths-based leadership mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. to try to identify where are people good in any number mm -hmm. of ways, whether mm -hmm. it's the Gallup, Clifton, Strengths Finder, mm -hmm. or other instruments. And 
affirm giftedness and put people into places to use their gift mix to contribute to a cause mm -hmm. or a company. There's just huge capacity in the next mm -hmm. generation of up-and-comers that we need to figure out how to deploy that. So it sounds like underlying that is understanding that a person in a female body mm -hmm. has a different perspective in how we've defined leadership mm -hmm. in a traditionally male society mm -hmm. is limited mm -hmm. and limiting for our business success. Mm -hmm. And by expanding that, business owners will be better off and women will have the opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we also need a different definition of leadership. Leadership is the ability to mobilize people to get work done or mm -hmm. the ability to make a difference by influencing other people. Mm -hmm. And when we only think of positional and hierarchical leadership in male mm -hmm. normed ways and women don't buy that package or don't mm -hmm. want that package, we risk losing the potential and the capacity that they would bring. So there's a shorthand expression because some leaders were born women. We tend to think there is actually a leadership theory called think manager, think male that we tend to think of leaders as being male. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to think outside of those boxes and begin to think about giftedness and talent and a huge body of literature now on calling. What do mm -hmm. people feel called to do in their lives? What do they feel burdened to make a difference? Mm -hmm. Whether it's relieving a country of poverty or working in healthcare, And how mm -hmm. do you free up the capacity of people that want to make a difference in that sphere of influence? Mm -hmm. So I think we need to think about leadership with a different, broader definition mm -hmm. of being able to get good work done. You know, even though I define it the same way you do, I realize in listening and coming up through an environment that was very male-dominated, mm -hmm. I had some biases because of how I grew up, mm -hmm. that even as a female who wants women to succeed and has been quite active, mm -hmm. I've succeeded by adopting male behavior mm -hmm. and I personally need to change how I'm thinking about it mm -hmm. and if I need to change it as a female activist mm -hmm. certainly men who it's just not their issue mm -hmm. need to refine how they're thinking about leadership mm -hmm. and our implicit biases mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much Karen I'm delighted that you joined us thank you Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This segment, our guest is Susan Matson. We're at the International Leadership Association Conference live. Susan is Oren R. Woodbury Professor of Leadership and Ethics, 
the Woodbury School of Business, Utah Valley University. So welcome. Thank you. And Susan, can you give us a little bit of your background? Well, I uh, have been a researcher for many years, but about 12 years ago, I really moved my research into the area of women and leadership. I started uh, with some major projects um, that I still, I still love this research line of understanding um, and interviewing high-profile women leaders. My first two books, uh, for mm -hmm. one of them, I interviewed university presidents who were women. Okay. And then the second one, I interviewed 10 of the 20 uh, female governors that were alive. And my specific niche early on, and I've gone, you know, I've gone broader, was really understanding the lifetime development of leadership. So I really dug down into their upbringings, their mm -hmm. homes, their parents, uh, sports, um, how did they develop their voices and their confidence and and um, just become leaders. So I'm, I'm really proud, especially the governor's book, because mm -hmm. at the time there were only 20 women who were alive that had ever been governor in the United States, and I was able to spend time with 10 of them. So that's how I really started in the area. And then in terms of the International Leadership Association, mm -hmm. I joined that in 2009 and then founded the Women in Leadership Affinity Group, which has mm -hmm. well over a thousand members now and really started moving things forward, like the book series that we'll be chatting mm -hmm. about, mm -hmm. um, some conferences and those things. I'm a bit of a change agent. I like to uh, I feel it's very important in our society today to do more research and develop more theory mm -hmm. around women in leadership, around things to help us understand how do we raise more girls to be leaders? How do we help women who are leaders now, or are women now, to become leaders? Mm -hmm. How do we mm -hmm. raise confidence? How do we develop mm -hmm. you know, structures? So all of that. I love all this stuff. And one of my questions that, that I think is the nice companion to that is as you're developing them to fill the pipeline, I'm looking at often my male clients and what's the value proposition to them to bring these women that you're developing into their businesses because we lead differently. Absolutely. Well, actually, a little, we do lead differently in some ways, but I have to always be careful because when you look at the literature around women, mm -hmm. women and men and the styles of leadership, actually, we do a lot more similar, okay. similar things, mm -hmm. but we do have some differences, uh, definitely, but mm -hmm. we're not totally different is what I'm saying. But in terms of the business case or the value proposition, mm -hmm. actually, research has been coming out for the last 10 years, e even more, but really mm -hmm. strong, I would say, in the last five or 10 years on why do we need more women leaders, right? And and actually, there's so many. There's just hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of studies that have been looking at a ver various components. Some of these reasons, just to be open, are, are from the corporate setting and the nonprofit and some political research and different mm -hmm. things. But the first one really comes more out of the corporate setting, and that is it improves financial performance. Now, mm -hmm. not every study says that, but enough studies do say that, that they have found in organizations that oftentimes when there's women specifically on boards mm -hmm. or in top leadership teams, that there are financial improvements and things like uh, the company takes less risk and, and doesn't lose as much money and certain kinds <laughs> of things. I wrote a brief uh, a year or two ago called Why Do We Need More Women Leaders? Okay. Um, and actually has the business case. I uh, mm -hmm. took research, like I said, from hundreds of studies and mm -hmm. uh, have them categorized into five main areas. Like I said, one of them is financial improvements. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important uh, from the research element in terms of corporations that, that there's much evidence, not every study, but much evidence mm -hmm. that the financial performance of the company goes up when there's women serving on boards or mm -hmm. serving in leadership positions or both. So another thing that many studies have pointed out is that companies improve when there's women on those boards, and this could be nonprofit as well as political mm -hmm. settings. Mm -hmm. They tend to have more social responsibility, uh, more philanthropy in the organization. Mm -hmm. Another one is is really the organizational climate improves. There's more employees in general in the company that are engaged. There's less mm -hmm. turnover. Some of the studies have said that. Looking at the diversity of talent is important. I love mm -hmm. this one because, you know, women really ask different questions. 
So um, let's go back to the governor study and okay. tie that to the benefits. How do we grow up differently, or what is it? I mean, I, being female, I have different reproductive organs, yes. but how does that make me different as a leader? And that's a question I have to answer. What is it about the physiological structure that makes you different? And why does that perspective need to be represented? Oh, just your upbringing. Socialization is so different between okay. boys and girls. That starts so early. There's so much mm -hmm. research, even in elementary school children. For one quick example that you'll find interesting mm -hmm. is in the United States, the K through 12, well, particularly elementary school, boys are criticized eight times more than girls. Really? Um, and you think, oh, those poor boys. But generally They grow speaking, up learning then to take it. Yeah, yeah. It, what happens is girls are socialized more that they should be quiet, and they mm. get their praise from being quiet, keeping their mouth shut, mm -hmm. raising their hand, waiting their turn, and mm -hmm. boys are, like, criticized, and that's, you know, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic. But then they go outside, and they there's blood sometimes at recess, <laughs> and they're friends five minutes later. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward 20 years, 25 years. And this is so, compounded, basically, yes, right? basically. And then 25 years, what are men better in the workplace than, than women? And that's taking criticism, getting over things, you know, letting things kind of fall off their shoulders. And women have been socialized from an early age to be quiet, raise their hand, be obedient. Mm -hmm. And so they're waiting for their turn, waiting for that extra praise. Um, another quick thing is that I can get going on this. This is such fun stuff. Is that even in the, in the even new STEM research in the United States, mm -hmm. The messaging that parents and other influencers give mm -hmm. on girls and boys from the young age is very different. Two points on this. One is that boys typically are given encouragement in words from parents and everybody. Mm -hmm. We don't know mm -hmm. we're doing this. That they can become. So they can, if you worked hard, mm -hmm. you can become. And girls from a very young age are, you are beautiful. You are smart. So when a girl then gets an F on a math test, it's me. So you are this way doesn't give the impression you versus can you become. can do. No, it's it's you exist, you are versus you can become. And so the messages a number of studies, well many studies have pointed mm -hmm. out that we just talk about that and and it starts from the physical, like you little little girl has a beautiful dress. You are beautiful. You are and so something happens, you're all of a sudden don't feel like you're beautiful, so who are you? Your identity. Mm. There's subtle things like that all over the, the you know, just the Christmas presents. Yeah. We give different Christmas presents to girls and boys in different colors. So the socialization, so back to the governor's uh, question, you know, it's interesting. I found so many uh, results, but one of them was how important the dinner table conversation was in helping them develop their voices and how their fathers, specifically mm. mothers as well, how their fathers really, they had good debates in a good way at the table and they're they didn't get hushed like sometimes you hush right. girls but you they would talk about you know a new sidewalk issue coming into the community and the impact mm -hmm. of those things and and so they really had ways these women who became leaders to develop their voices from a young age and that continued so so my dad was in the military, uh -huh. um, and I was kind of a math kid, nerdy kid, and we debated. Yeah, actually. And, and so I was taught early on. But a lot of people aren't. Right. Well, and I wondered why. I mean, I had all of my own issues, so yeah. not that there weren't a ton <laughs> of them. But there were parts that, that I was able to have a voice yeah. in some way. And again, there were other things. But that probably carried through. Well, even even more formally, the research that I did says, and I, I've been a coach for years. I was raised mm -hmm. with six brothers. I, okay. I'm an athlete. But there's such an advantage for girls and women playing sports, what you develop. Mm. But I also found that speech and debate, back to what you said, in a more formal way, actually was very important for women to 
compete, uh, learn how to lose gracefully, learn how Mm -hmm. to work with a team, do all kinds of things. And fortunately, there's more girls and and young women playing sports, but they still drop out more than boys Mm. or men. And there's just some value in all of those things when we're raising girls. And when I say raising girls, I'm not just talking about parents, but grandparents and educators and neighbors and 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 church, you know, uh, colleagues. Actually, as you say, that's why I played soccer for a year, and we were brutal. There were more injuries on the girls' <laughs> soccer team than there were boys' football. You can get into we that. I was a basketball tough. player, so I was... <laughs> but that, so I've wondered sometimes why... And then I went to work in companies that were predominantly men, clients that were predominantly men, so utilities industry. One of my clients was a steel manufacturer. So but I was you were probably the some... Yeah, you were probably somewhat more comfortable... In some ways, because of those sports experiences and because of, like, speech and debate does that to you as well, because you, you are doing more physical things with your mind and being competitive, right? Well, and that's why I wondered what made me different, because I don't have some of these concerns. Mm-hmm. But also on vacation, I climbed Kilimanjaro one yeah. year. <laughs> uh, and, and that's not as good. I mean, this was, I pushed every every physical limit I had and, <laughs> and beyond. And I knew I needed to do that because I didn't feel like a strong, physically strong person. Yeah. And so I knew that was a, um, an area that held me back, so I kind of pushed it. And, you know, at today's society, sometimes we protect those, the girls and boys go out and play and the girls mm-hmm. do things. But um, I'll tell you, for, for mental, physical, emotional well-being and growth, mm-hmm. we have to have our our girls learn how to take risks women Mm -hmm. are not as good as men taking risks some of that comes from genetics and hormones and neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. and different Mm -hmm. things but we can develop those skills so doing some of those like girls camp let them camp in tents don't put them in don't they don't want to break their nails don't put them in resort i call it camp (laughs) or resort camp or something um but backpacking, those things are so good for young mm-hmm. women for so many reasons in, that relate, all of them mm-hmm. relate directly or indirectly to women's confidence, women's voice, and leadership. So even things like scouts. The first time I went camping with scouts. Yeah. Now, our tent flooded and we got taken home. So, But even that, like, I wonder if it was boys, if they just make them sit there wet. Yeah. <laughs> but the girls, are yeah. they called our parents, and we were all card at home <laughs> I don't know but sometimes we t- we do treat girls and boys differently and and some would argue we need to do that and there are definitely things we do but I think as we raise our children or help raise you know mm-hmm. influence the community you know um, well and it teach. takes a community to gra- raise yeah. a child that that we need to be more thoughtful on is this just a habit because we're used to um girls doing this and boys doing this, um, or, you know, think more thoughtfully about how to develop these competencies in young women. How do we help these girls find a voice, get developmental opportunities so they can practice leadership, give them confidence, help them, you know, find opportunities so that they can, even if they struggle. And helicopter parenting is the worst on women. Okay. Um, on girls mm-hmm. because we want to take the pain from them. Mm. But in my books and in my work, the women over and over again said to me, "It's it was in the challenges and struggles and failures they mm-hmm. learned much more than in their successes in terms okay. of leadership. So let's go back to the governors again because I'm curious. <laughs> I am. Well, I want to see what worked with women who've been by all measures successful. Well, I uh, again, I, I looked at their mothers and fathers and their siblings, having brothers kind of helped, mm-hmm. but also there were some that had a bunch of sisters and their fathers really gave them opportunities. They would have a son. The dinner table conversation was important. I found in every single woman I interviewed, not just governors, but I've done work in the Middle East and China mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. things, that they were avid readers and how important ah. reading and getting your children to read because they become learners and they just soak up. They also, one thing that was so prominent is that they were able to learn how to truly reflect at a young age. Okay. Um, so okay. they could look at things and analyze 
both sides, the whole sports thing is important. Actually, further along, one thing that is interesting are three or four of the governors, when I studied their motivations to lead, it came from, you know, they had learned throughout their life to be somewhat leaders. But when they told stories, it came from defending or fighting for their own children, that, that they got involved in legislation one, uh, Barbara Roberts, who was the first female governor of Oregon, mm. uh, she pushed through and learned how to lobby through uh, her her son was autistic. Before okay. Before there was any special education mm. legislation, uh, she had the first that went through, and she found her voice through lobbying a bill for her son and for others in special education. And then she found out she was good at the political process and ended up sticking (laughs) with it. And so that's, it's so interesting to look at women's lives as they're growing up, how we can help girls, but also how can we help unleash Mm -hmm. the voices of young women and women of any age now to make a difference because people in their 40s and 50s like us, I won't tell you if we're in their 40s or 50s, um, still have time to have a voice and make an impact. So for young girls reading, reflecting, the dinner table conversation, sports, opportunities to fail. So fast forward now to 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. So assuming I want to move into a leadership role or I want to move into a bigger leadership role. Mm-hmm. What would you advise me now as a mid-career person, maybe even senior career person? I would say, really, um, I would advise find a very good women-only leadership program that you can do at least once in your career. So why women only? Because there's certain experience. I wouldn't say every year in all your leadership would okay. be that. Okay. No, I'm just saying at least one good women only program and then okay. two other programs. Okay. Well. But women only because you do get a different experience in a women mm-hmm. only. I, I work on those. Um, I'm doing now one with 18 people. I'm going to finish the last two days next week. There are conversations, experiences, ways to do leadership identity work that mm. you would just do with women because they're more vulnerable in those settings and they can and they can go deeper and okay. it's just a conversation a safe place and not that i'm saying you shouldn't do other clients mm-hmm. right but I that's that. a great thing also really connecting and finding opportunities for mentoring and sponsorship okay um, sponsoring meaning someone that will really help give you mm-hmm. opportunities and move and then just do some more self-exploration and and figure out, and I do a lot of speaking around the issue of learning from everything. I'll tell you, there are so many things that happen in your life that you probably have not learned leadership lessons from. It's not the experience that teaches you. It's the reflection on the experience that actually helps to teach you, helps you develop leadership. So going back and really looking at your own, you you have to read one of my first couple of books because it helps you look through your life and say, what have what can I learn? What can I help transform me that I've already experienced that I haven't explored? So I think that's a great note to shift on. And and I want to reiterate the reflection. Um, You and I share that commitment to, I don't cultivate the benefit if I don't reflect deeply about, and then make an action plan. So what did I learn? What am I going to do less of? What am I going to do more of? And what practices do I put in place even if they're simple little five Absolutely. minutes a day, those yeah, are the ones I can actually do. Still, it still mm, yeah, works. I know. I still do it too. I don't love it. I don't I even like it, it a lot of times. That's where ah, I do my, okay. my people. People have told me, uh, flight attendants, we had, we're not used to seeing people write as much as you do, but <laughs> I write on airplanes and actually oh, that's, that's right. a good time to, to do some reflecting. Because there is something about the, the something that integrates when yeah, we write. There still is. So give us the name of a couple of books that you would recommend and a website so people can contact you. So I have a few other books besides the ILA series. Okay. But the ILA series, um, we started a couple years ago, have four books published. I was a co-editor on the first three, and I would recommend those, Women in Leadership in Higher Education, uh, Women as Global Leaders, and Women in Leadership Around the World. The first book and the second book I was talking about in terms of the lifetime development of mm-hmm. these women. Uh, the first one from 2008 is called I'm Becoming a Woman Leader, 
learning mm-hmm. from the experiences of university presidents. Okay. And then the second one is developing leadership, learning from the experiences of women governors. Um, and there's some other books as well, but uh, the website that you can find out more information about these books, but my own as well, is my speaking consulting website, which is madsengloballeadership.com. So M-A-D-S-E-N, yes, globalleadership.com. Global and then more information on the, the International Leadership Association books can also be found on my website, but also the ILA website. And that's ILA-net.org. Okay. And then you would just search women in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So www.ila-net.org. And then you can just drop down to publications, women in leadership. Great. Susan, such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd like to wrap up this conversation with Susan and Karen with some thoughts of my own on women in leadership, including research from Susan on the specifics about the value of women in leadership. So as a woman who started her career in the the 80s, I spent much of my time being taught that women led like men. I had male mentors, bosses, thought leaders, and that was really what I grew up thinking was most effective. And often I was the only woman in the room from early in my career as a financial analyst to later as a senior consultant. My behaviors very much emulated those of men. And so as we started looking at the value of women in leadership, one of my questions was, what do we bring to the table? And very specifically, am I leaving part of my value out of the equation because I've spent my career emulating men rather than building on the skills I already have. So I wanted to sum up the interview with some of Susan's research specifically focused on the value of women in leadership. I want to reference Utah Women in Leadership Project, a research and policy brief, Why Do We Need More Women Leaders in Utah? And so in this brief, Susan did extensive research looking at what are the areas that women add value. They come in five different categories. So one, cross-organizations, and this is business, civil, community, nonprofit. They improve financial performance. So companies with a market cap of more than 10 billion and with women board members outperformed comparable businesses with all male boards by 26% worldwide. In another reference, uh, research showed the following benefits, higher operating results, better stock growth, better economic growth, higher market to book value, better corporate governance and oversight, improved corporate sustainability and overall increased profitability. And I realize those are words mainly focused on for-profit businesses for nonprofits and government organizations, I would say better overall financial performance, not necessarily measured by profitability. The second category is strengthening organizational culture. So the Corporate Leadership Council discovered a link connecting commitment to diversity and inclusion with the level of employee engagement. The study cited other examples on corporate culture. So women leaders also tend to look more carefully at issues of fairness and policies and practices for all employees. A Chinese study found that boards with higher numbers of women were less likely to violate security regulations and commit fraud. And finally, inclusive leadership styles most commonly found in women are also linked to reduced turnover and improved performance of diverse teams. And again, for those of us in the business of quantifying the impact, we know that the cost of hiring and the cost of turnover can be dramatic, as is the cost of disengaged employees that we're paying in many cases to underperform and in some cases to actually undermine us. The third category, increased corporate social responsibility and organizational reputation. So the Committee for Economic Development argues that having more women on boards helps companies better engage with society. Another study found companies viewed as ethical or good corporate citizens were more likely to have more women board directors than companies without those reputations. The fourth is leveraging talent. Both male and female qualities are necessary for effective organizations. The specific situation dictates which qualities are most 
most effective in any given setting in which balance or range of them. Women tend to be more holistic rather than linear thinkers. They usually look for win-win situations and are often more process-oriented than men. In addition to being more holistic, women are also known to be more sensitive to non-verbal communication cues and often more comfortable with ambiguity. Finally, when looking at another study, researchers looked at the data across 7,000 leaders and found that, according to subordinates, peers, and supervisors, women outperformed men in 12 of 16 measures of outstanding leadership competencies and scored the same as men in the other four. Most significantly, women's scores lead those of men in taking initiative, practicing self-development, displaying higher integrity and honesty, and driving results. And certainly the driving results would tie back to improved financial performance. And then finally, the fifth of these areas is enhancing innovation and collective intelligence. So research findings reveal that the number of women in a group significantly predicted effective problem-solving ability of that group overall. In other studies, researchers also found that collective intelligence of the group exceeded the cognitive abilities and aptitudes of the individual members of the group. This collective intelligence is critical to effective decision-making and problem-solving, and as well as high levels of innovation and creativity. So again, having women in the group changes the collective intelligence and increases the cognitive ability in part because of the diversity of perspectives. So I believe that these data make a strong case for including the right women in leadership and management because it increases in organizational performance. The data hold true globally and across a broad range of organizations. So then the question is, if having women in the organization, in management and leadership roles is really that beneficial, what do we do to make that happen for organizations that are still not at the level that they would like to be? And I have a couple of suggestions specifically focusing on creating policies that enable you as an organization to develop, recruit, and retain women will allow you to recoup that significant advantage that you may not have if you're not including women. If you're looking for additional information, the International Leadership Association, in concert with Information Age Publishing, launched a new book series Women in Leadership, Research, Theory, and Practice. This series asks provocative questions about the status quo, encourages and discouragers to women's leadership advancement, explores what strategies are working, and whether or not the pipeline is helping address the challenges still faced to confront high potential women. And Susan and Karen are editors and major contributors to this book series. Thank you very much for listening. And as the host of this series, I invite you to send feedback. I would love to hear what you think on this topic and any others, you can reach me at info at metcalf-associates.com or on Facebook, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.